0: Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host Ekta. And today is another um, episode in our editorial series. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys To Faith Cummings. Faith is a beauty editor. She's a journalist and a copywriter for multiple brands and magazines. So, welcome, Faith. We are so excited you're here with us, and we can't wait to talk about um, your background, your career journey, everything that got you started in beauty.
1: I'm so happy to be here, and I always love talking about beauty. Um, in terms of my career, so <laughs> I feel like. Um, my career, I've had a lot of experience in different things, but two of the through lines in my career have Mm -hmm. been e-commerce and Mm -hmm. editorial. So I started getting into editorial, I would say in college, I just had, you know, a few different internships. One of the biggest internships I had was at WWD. So I, I went to school for language, act- actually, so I, I wanted to be a translator, but as I was going through some of the translating work, it didn't really feel super exciting to me, which, yeah. of course, now that I'm older, I understand that, like, you need to be in it for a while before it gets exciting, but, um, you know, I, I felt like I really wanted to get into fashion, but I just didn't know how to do it, so I, you know, for my first internship, uh, which was before WWD, I went on Craigslist and found an internship that way. So my first internship- Oh my God,
0: that's when Craigslist was actually like legit.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh. I mean, a lot of people still use it, I think, if you want to find you know, furniture and other things like that, but that's when people were on Craigslist looking for jobs. So yeah, um, yeah. It, it was for this really great brand that's still around um, called Migalina, which is mm-hmm. a fashion brand. And so I was in production- um, and, and I, you know, did it for a couple of months, but it, it wasn't really calling out to me. And the team was absolutely amazing. Um, I, I loved working there, but, you know, I, I felt like I wanted something more. And so that was kind of a summer internship. And then when it was winter break, uh, I was able to get another internship at WWD. And I worked in the accessories closet, um, which was right up my alley um w was just across you know the the hall and i really felt like okay i want to be in magazines and editorial Um, and so that's kind of what i i decided to pursue after school i i i had tried a little bit uh, of translating work but it really didn't it didn't call to me so i decided to try to get in magazines and editorial i started doing you know some internships i actually um, you know, did an internship at Fashion Week, which was super, super fun to see if I like that. I yeah. did an internship at Cesare Paciotti, which is an in- Italian shoe brand. Um, um, and you should check them out. If you haven't, they're really, really great. Um yeah, but I, yeah, I'm great yeah, too. <laughs> yeah they're 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 actually they have red soles like Louboutin. but yeah. yeah, so it's very, it's very, very interesting. I don't know how that intellectual property works out on their end <laughs> but um so I ended up uh interning there but but where I landed was ultimately um a luxury online retailer and catalog called Vivre um, it's defunct now uh mm. unfortunately but they sold everything from Vera Wang to Michael Kors collection Boonkit jewelry Laurel Piana so really high-end fashion And I started as an intern and then, you know, we kind of fell into a recession. And so I actually got weirdly promoted. Unfortunately, my supervisor got let go. So I was kind of there hanging. It was me and, you know, my direct supervisor who was the head of buying who were left. So I kind of got that job. And so I was exposed to a lot of high fashion at that Mm -hmm. time. And that's really my start. My start was in fashion and and e-commerce that way. Um, At the same time, in parallel, I also was starting to write. So I was writing for free on this blog. I just wanted to kind of get my feet wet. I I felt like I had things to say, but I really wanted to kind of cover fashion. And I was kind of one of those people who was uh, a diehard for style.com and wanted to see all the collections. So, so that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to report on fashion and, yeah. and beauty. Beauty was always there as well, because fashion and beauty, is, is especially at that time with, with Fashion Week being so big, they, they went hand in hand. Like you you, yeah. you were getting both at the same time. So beauty was always there. It just wasn't in my career as much at that time. So right. I I was there at Vive for a couple of years and then I ended up moving to Victoria's secret.
0: Yeah.
1: And I joined as a freelancer. I was on their digital coordination team, which was not at all a creative job. It was very, um, you know, it was kind of behind the scenes, setting up the website navigation, being, a you know, kind of liaison with, you know, web operations, the e-commerce merchandisers. So that kind of gave me an insight into how a big corporation and company worked. Um, And at the same time, I started to take my writing to the next level. I started to get paid for my writing, which was really great for me. Yeah. Um, and I started amazing to feeling <laughs> amazing, amazing feeling. It's a feeling everyone should have, but you know, yeah. at the time, to be honest, we, we were taught at that time to be allowed into the fashion industry was a privilege. And so your, yeah. The internships you didn't get paid for them, you know. I'm right, lucky right. and and I'm privileged in that, you know. I I'm born and raised in New York, so I was able to you know still be living at home, you know, being 21 and 22. But right. you know, a lot of people who aren't from New York or or don't come from a background where they could make ten dollars a day and it's okay, they're they're not able to get that. So I'm I'm very happy now that. Um, internships are taken seriously. It's a lot of hard work, and people deserve to be paid for it. So yeah, I think, I think that a that's lot a good of change.
0: More, there are a lot more laws and legalities now, right, around like interns, like hiring interns and like paying them and not abusing them. And, exactly. You know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's just you know you deserve to to earn something for your money. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. So I'm glad that's that hard. they've made that change. Um, but you know, I started getting you know paid for my writing and I started writing for bigger outlets, you know, started writing for Glamour and you know, started writing for Vogue and L. And some of it was from, you know, people I had met and known and a little bit of networking, but a lot of it was me cold pitching a lot of these outlets. Um and hmm. so I I'm always a proponent for that um it, you what know, do you mean are- by
0: that what do you mean by I'm sorry to interrupt you what do you mean by like cold pitching like what does that mean because I so, know nothing about editorial world
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so the idea that you would essentially find what someone's email is maybe you would see their email on you know maybe a media site or maybe you would see it on a site where they're looking for a freelancer or, or an intern and you would send them an, an email and pitch them an idea, propose them oh, an idea. Okay. Um, so I had started to do that and found a lot of su- success in doing that. So, of course, as you kind of get more bylines, it becomes easier. But I, I'm always grateful that at that time I was able to have so many editors who were receptive, who would give me feedback, and who ended up working with me and and kind of getting me published at the beginning. So that that was was really exciting for me, but you know, like I said, I was at Victoria's Secret. So
0: um,
1: it was fine when I was in more of a, you know, just e-commerce behind the scenes role. But, you know, it was funny in that, my one of my bosses I was actually at Victoria's Secret for almost nine years so very very long time especially in like millennial speak it's kind of like a lifetime most of my career I'm
0: sure you saw it like completely mold like the whole company right because I remember when we were in high school I don't know like um you know what you're you were born in but I remember being in high school and Victoria's Secret was this like oh my gosh you know what I mean like this huge deal and then like it became more of like a norm you know people started buying more and like you started seeing it in more places so I'm sure that must have been really cool to see yeah, it, like, kind of change yeah
1: it's so I mean it's honestly I mean most most women you meet and now I think luckily we're able to have more conversations and that are inclusive so a lot of people you meet have Victoria's Secret underwear their, their market share in, around the globe is is just astronomical. So you see new brands coming up now, but at the time there wasn't any, like they were it. Um, when you think about affordable, more affordable kind of underwear. So absolutely. I mean, it was really cool. I learned so much. Um, and you know, toward the, the last few years of my tenure there, I was able to move onto the app and really kind of lead content strategy for the app and and they revamped the app. Um, mm-hmm. I believe this is 2016. So I kind of came on the team for that. And that was just such a great learning opportunity for me. I, I really felt at the time, this is the job that I want um, just in terms of working with other teams on content, creating content, really driving home the importance of, you know, Things like the Met Gala, Coachella, those kind of topical moments where, you know, these supermodels are there, but we weren't necessarily covering it. So really just yeah. being a content evangelist. And that was super exciting. But it was also a time where beauty started to come into my career there because they were becoming better known for beauty. I mean, yeah. of course, we all know Victoria's Secret scents. Like they're, they're very right.
0: iconic. Um, right. Yeah. Th-
1: throughout the years, everyone had, you know, one of the sprays like I mean, it, it was a it was a thing, you know, but they were, you know, also becoming really well known for fragrance and winning awards and makeup. And so we were able to showcase um, a lot of beauty on the app. And so that got me into a mindset of thinking about beauty from an e-commerce perspective and a business perspective, because I grew up loving beauty. I mean, my mom and my grandmother cared about beauty. My mom is skincare queen. Like I, you know, I aspire, you know what I mean? Like she's on just like a different level in terms of like, of course what she can afford, but like she has always loved skincare and beauty. So I always did as well. Even though right. I'm more of like a natural beauty person, she's more of like, give me the Kevin O'Quan, give me the Mac. Right. So, I but always. You know what,
0: what, you know what's interesting though is that every like I often think about this, and I feel like our mothers had this like classic beauty about them. You know what I mean? Like women from that time period, they was just this like classic um you know just their own style kind of thing you know what I mean so like everybody I talk to is like my mom or my grandmother really taught me about beauty and skincare and it's like yeah because they were I feel like they had their own like thing that they did you know what I mean like it's it's like I feel like that's a trend every time I talk to somebody
1: (laughs) yeah it's so it's so personal I mean I think for for a lot of women it is that kind of personal connection you have with it. And I think we didn't they, and they didn't have at the time. Now we have YouTube. So if I want to know how to do anything under the sun, I can just go on YouTube, but, but you didn't have that back then. So it had to be word of mouth or it had to be someone teaching you and showing you. So, um, that's kind of how, how I learned to love it. I, I can't say that I was a makeup fan, Um, I, I'm more so now, but at the time when I was growing up, I was a little bit intimidated and scared by makeup. I didn't like the idea of changing how my face looked like that. That freaked me out a little bit. Um, it's, there's actually like a really funny story when I was having my sweet 16, we decided to go to Mac, uh, might've been a couple weeks beforehand to kind of test out how I could do my makeup. And yeah. so they did my makeup and it was in, um, like Roosevelt field, which is like a big mall in Long Island. And yeah. I went to look in the mirror at my face and I burst into tears. I was oh so, gosh, I why? was so like, I was so shocked by how I looked and I, I, i Now, I mean, I looked beautiful. Like Mac is going to give you an incredible beat, but the idea of like a beat face, you know what I mean? At at the time, at sixteen, like some some girls love that, but for me, I I didn't like it at all. It felt too grown.
0: It's too grown. I feel like you know, like exactly. exactly
1: um so so that is just such a funny story like every time I bring that up my mom is always like do you remember that time um (laughs) and now of course I literally write about beauty and makeup um so that's a fun story from the past but yeah I mean at Victoria's Secret um definitely just getting more into beauty um especially with the app and then you know I, I I left Uh, VS. And then I went to Fakai and Bastide. So that Mm -hmm. was really 100% beauty. Um, And that was really exciting because I stepped into, you know, those brands as a copy and content writer in both Mm -hmm. French and English, which was great. I I got to use my French, which, you know, uh,
0: finally that paid off. Yeah, Um, yeah. I saw that in your bio that you are fluent in French. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I love language. That's always going to be something that that I love no matter what I do.
0: So I was really
1: excited to do that. And just working with with, you know, Fakai is an iconic brand and then working with Bastide and just Bastide is very dreamy and um, just aspirational and so I did that for about a year, which was really last year. So leading almost up until now. So um, that's kind of been my journey. But then in terms of editorial, I'd say over the past five years or so, I've really started to write more about beauty and really just focusing on on women of color, on yeah. natural hair, um, on, yes. you know, textured hair education and how important that is and, and yes, just how, yes. you know, how crucial it is to put, um, you know, Black-owned brands, women of color-owned brands to the forefront of the industry um, because yeah. very often, you know, those brands don't get as much shine and, and they really, really and truly deserve it um, well it's
0: not even about the brands right Faith it's a more about like in my mind it's like the the young women that are growing up like to be able to show them like hey you know the way you look and the way you are is a beautiful thing and here's somebody that looks like you and you know what I mean like something to aspire to because I know you know women of color I feel like I don't know if you agree or not but when we grew up it was like kind of like piecing together what we thought was beauty like that's how I saw it, you know, from my perspective. So, like now, when I look at magazines and I see all these beautiful women of color on the cover or like featured, I'm just so happy to see that because I know there's a little girl somewhere just flipping through a magazine. You know what I mean? And she's like, "Oh, I I see myself in this," you know. So that's definitely different from when I remember from when we were growing up.
1: A thousand percent. I mean, I you know, growing up in I, I grew up in Queens, New York, so I saw a huge amount of of diversity around me and that is reflected in my friends and who I went to school with and and just even beauty that I liked like when I was growing up I went through this whole phase where I wanted to get henna all the time and so I mean now I mean now of course you look back at that and you're like was that cultural appropriation I don't know but like I you know in Queens there's so many henna shops. So I went through a moment where I wanted to have henna and just, you know, now I write a lot about, um, you know, Asian beauty and Korean beauty and Japanese beauty. So I I always felt very comfortable based on the way I grew up seeing different kinds of beauty, but you're right in that when I would look into the mainstream, especially in, in fashion, there was only one kind of beauty, or there was one kind of beauty that you could tell was preferred. And so it w- it was a bit of kind of cognitive dissonance in that I knew there was so much out there and yeah. I was seeing it in my real life, but in yeah. this kind of fairy tale life of fashion and beauty, it wasn't shown. So I am really happy that young girls and that young people in general have more examples. I'm happy that, you know, social media can be a gift and a curse, but I'm happy that, you know, I think a lot of young people can find, you know, their kind of group and and people who are like-minded. Yeah. And see a lot of that because that's, that's super important to, to have that representation.
0: Yeah, and I want to go back to your point about the henna and the cultural appropriation thing because I definitely do not think that that's cultural appropriation. And the reason I say that is because when I first, so I was born in India and when I first um, came to the States, um, we were in Michigan, but then we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. And I remember when I first went to this magnet school, the first friends I had were African-American girls and they were the first to embrace me. And I felt like, you know, like just being like this kid from India you know what I mean like I had no friends <laughs> like I had nobody and they showed me things like you know this is lip gloss Ecta and you know this is the cool like they made me feel confident in myself you know what I'm saying like it was yeah. like and and I used a lot of the products that they grew up using like you know a lot of like you know like the things they would use for their hair or for their lips or for their skin and I and I feel like I kind of did the same thing um as you described the henna thing but with a lot of things that, you know, African American culture has in terms of like, you know, daily products and stuff. So I don't feel like that's cultural appropriation. I think that's more of the, um you know, the fundamental of America, which is the melting pot mentality, right? It's like, you know, we have to like, kind of take from each other and learn from each other. And that's exactly what I felt like. So I can completely relate with you. That's my point with growing up in like kind of a diverse environment.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when you look through the lens of 2020, I mean, I think you look back and things look very different. Um, But, you know, of course, I never felt like I was appropriating. I mean, clearly, you know, I I was going into these places, you know, and I was being received with open arms. And, you know, these are definitely, you know, but I, I think for me, throughout the years, what I started to learn was that, you know, henna has a purpose and it's part of tradition and, and there yeah. are customs. And so I, I, I learned more about it as opposed to just finding it very aesthetically beautiful. Um, oh. I started to learn about the, the history of it. And so once I did that, then I felt like, okay, like this is something that, you know, if I get it, I, I know what I'm getting. Um, instead of it just being almost like for vanity purposes, you know, just finding it very pretty, which it also is.
0: Right, Um, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I think that's important because here's the thing, you know, I... Lately, in the last few years, I've been doing a lot of research about just, you know, obviously we all know, want to know where we come from, right? So we look up our family trees and we look up, you know, history and stuff like that. And a lot of the things that I've found have really opened my eyes in terms of how cultures kind of um, migrated in the world, right? So like, Mm -hmm. I, I look at, you know, African culture and I look at, you know, Caribbean culture and then Indian culture, and there's this huge intermingling aspect that was there long long, long before, like centuries ago. And I think there were a lot of things that were overlapping. And so now we have this, you know, distinction between, okay, well, you know, in the Indian community, we use henna for like the marriage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, in weddings and stuff. But, you know, that can also be said about like, for example, Bengals and like, you know, um, like bracelets and stuff. A lot of people have debates about, well, this originated in Africa and well, no, it, it originated in India. It, I feel like that like you know the nitpicking thing I feel like it almost puts us back you know what I mean instead of saying like hey why don't we just understand that we were all at some point intermingled and we were all kind of connected at one point and we all learned from each other so that's kind of how I approach cultural you know what I mean like cultural stuff like um, If I see anybody with hen on, unless they're doing something that's, like, vulgar, or like, completely, like, you know, just not at all respectful of, you know, the custom, I don't have a problem with that at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't bother me. Just like I'm sure if I got braids or if I did my hair in a way that's, like, very conducive to African-American hair, I'm pretty sure all of my friends would not hate me for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, I think, yeah.
1: I mean it's, it's tricky. I mean, I would say that intention matters for sure. Um, and, and I think you're so right. You know, it's very interesting being, being black because a lot of the times being black means having this vast mix of different cultures. So, you know, I'm Caribbean American, but I'm also Latin. I'm also Latinx because my dad is from Panama. Um, mm. And so, even to 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 be Caribbean means that yes, we do have you know you're 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 from the islands, but yeah. there is yeah. a lot of people from the islands are Indian. Like my you know my great grandfather looks like looks like a, a, an Indian man. So like you yeah. know we like have Trinidad.
0: Trinidad, and like Guyanese people, right? Like it's that's like, exactly where my I family's from. Find- yeah i spent six years in the caribbean actually faith like i i spent yeah and i and i realized how much that's exactly kind of the i'm so excited you said this that you know about your background because when i was in the caribbean this is exactly the kind of stuff i noticed there is this huge blending of cultures you know what i mean especially in trinidad (laughs) like you know indians and black people and everybody is just you know they're just intermingling and they're, they're connected in this like national, like, you know, they're nationalists in a way, right? It's like, instead of saying, well, I'm this or I'm that. um, And so when I, when I noticed that I was so, so it's like eye opening, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like you feel more at home in that kind of a culture.
1: Exactly. And so I think that that's, you know, like you're, you're right. When you think about origins, I mean, origins get really tricky because the whole, I mean, Granted, they go back to, you know, the idea of trade and, and once people realized that these different areas where it's, whether it's the islands, whether it's, you know, all these different countries in Asia, um, realizing that these countries were so rich in resources and they had these things at the time that were thought of as exotic, um, you know, people wanted to spread them around the world. And so sometimes that was done by means that were good and other times um, and many times it wasn't by great means, but I mean, people came to be very, um, like you said, blended in these different countries. And I think it's, it's very beautiful, but you know, that means that when you look back at your history or your culture, you're going to get a lot of different influences and inspirations. And so, like you said, um, you know, no one thing might come from, you know, a certain people. It might've throughout time um, been blended with other customs of theirs, but I think it intention definitely matters. And I think people should do the research and, and know what's appropriate and, and what's not. I think, like you said, um, you know, you have friends who who are black, and so yeah. you might feel very comfortable um, embracing certain things. And I feel like for me, growing up the way I did, um, yeah. you know, I feel comfortable embracing things, but I also want to make sure, and I want to make sure that I'm not offending offending anyone, or that I'm not wearing something that I shouldn't be wearing. Um, right. I, I think that I want to be more purposeful and intentional with the things that I like. To do now, of course, um, yeah, and and so I think that that matters, but I think it is nice to to really take part in other cultures, but not in a way that um, is grabby. Like understanding that, like you have a role to play in honoring whatever they do, and you should right. really understand that you're a participant. You know, you're not going to be an arbiter of it. You you can have fun with it as long as like you have someone's blessing. But to understand that, you know, understand your role in it. um, Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And you know what that reminds me of is carnival in the Caribbean because I remember when I was down there. I mean, I you know I'm not going to lie to you, Faith. When I was in the Caribbean, I felt like you know, there was not this hypersensitivity around, um, like, you know, kind of blending in with the community, like the locals and stuff and on the islands that I was on I felt like they were very open to like you know mm-hmm. hey come try this on or hey come do your makeup like this you know check it out like that kind of stuff was like it's almost like they embrace it and they want you to intermingle and they want you to learn about their culture and it's like when I came back to America this was actually it's funny because I was um overseas when Trump actually came into the office right and I and I remember sitting there thinking this is just going to make everything so much more sensitive and hypersensitivity is going to come out. You know what I mean? So like, and, but the thing is the people in the Caribbean islands were really not that impacted by it. And they were still very like just normal people. And I think that, you know, if I were to go back, like my grandmothers, you know, they were in rural India, you know, I was born in rural India and I'm pretty sure if you and I were to take a trip to like rural Haryana in India, nobody would be like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, why is she wearing like a lingo or you know what I mean? Like anything like that. I think there's a lot of acceptance in other countries when yeah. it comes to that, you know, like compared to America. A thousand
1: percent. Like, I yeah. mean, that's why I love to travel. It's so, it's so unfortunate because I was actually supposed to go to India uh, in October, like for the first time I had my whole trip planned. Yeah. And then um, when the pandemic hit, I mean, clearly I had to cancel it. So I'm hoping that at some point I get there, but
0: you know, that's well, why if I, you ever, I, if you ever want to go, I have a, a place in Delhi. So you are coming with me.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm signed up already done. Like <laughs> no questions asked. Um, but that's why, that's why I love to travel so much because there is an openness. Um, yeah. I find that people have all over the world, um, which, which, you know, I'm 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 lucky to be on the receiving end of um, and I think just in general Caribbean people are very welcoming very open very friendly mostly we, yeah. we want to have a good time and we want to enjoy ourselves and especially if you're you're there at that time of, of carnival I mean yeah. that is the, the the most fun time to be there and it's all it's all just about a celebration so yep. um you know that is I'm I'm grateful to be a part of, you know, that, that culture where it is openness, it is this embrace of beauty and, and, and body positivity and complexions and cultures. And so I think, um, you know it's i i i always feel really honored and 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 grateful for that so i'm not surprised that that's the the reception you got because that's that's how caribbean people are yeah caribbean people
0: are honestly some of my favorite people on this planet i kid you not i'll tell you a story because i, w- I was down there for um you know, some medical stuff that I was doing, and I I remember there was this little, like, hut kind of restaurant, you know, outdoor restaurant, and he was a Mediterranean guy, but he was, um you know, very, very Caribbean, you know, he grew up in the culture, Um, and he, at one point, like, I looked very sad one day, and I used to always go to his shop for, like, a chicken burger or something, right, like, you know, at the end of the day, and he looked at me, and he saw that I was very upset, and he literally came to me like a father and was like listen give him help you know what I mean like he was like <laughs> real yeah like it was amazing and it made me feel like because you know I was homesick and I felt like you know I didn't have my parents and I didn't have my dad and all this but when I felt that I it was like an eye-opening experience because I was like wow we really all are connected on this like human level and in a lot of countries it's very like there's a lot more people that recognize that versus not you know what I'm saying? Like there's like, so true. like world population wise, like there's a lot more people that are more accepting than not. And um, when I think of America, I feel like everything needs to be explained. And sometimes you just can't explain it. You know, if you like something from a culture and it's like what you said, if you're doing it the right way and you're not being disrespectful and you're not being vulgar or whatever with it, no, you know, they're not gonna have a problem with it. In fact, they're gonna celebrate it you know? So I I really, I appreciated that so much. It was very, very (laughs) eye-opening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I because America is is a melting pot, I mean, I think it's just interesting. I mean, we, in terms of just pop culture and in terms of trends, I mean, America leads a lot and um, that, that might be changing after, (laughs) after what's happened over the last four years. But I think that um, you have all these different cultures coming together, but you also have people who feel like they are, you also have indigenous people who were here originally. And then you have, you know, people who were settlers who feel yeah. like, you know, uh, America is their country, white settlers. So, you know, I, I think it, it's a clash all the time and, and it, it, it works in some cases in other cases it doesn't. It's a project that, is still ongoing. We, you know, step forward and step back all the time, but I think it's the, the real difference in cultures that leads people to want to kind of explain who they are. Um, I also think it's just a little bit of the American way In other countries, a lot of things go unsaid. A lot of things are just um, transmitted culturally, and and don't have to be explained, but you're expected to kind of know them and understand them. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. America is a little bit more in your face, a little bit bolder and louder. And that's kind of what people like us for. But I, I do think that I, I know that that is an adjustment for people who come from other places, um, where it's not you know so much of a kind of beat your chest like this is who I am type of conversation all the time so you know no we we Amer- america has changed uh, a lot it will continue to change um and i mean we're we're a part of a really big change that's happening right now so i think we'll see what happens in 2021 but but you're right you're right in that um things do need to be a bit more explained here but i think that's because a lot of the times we have the opportunity to, to explain it. Um, So people want to make sure you
0: get who they are. Right. That's, that's a great point. That's a really great point. Yeah. You're right. Because we have so much media and we have so many outlets where it's like, we are able to put out information and we're able to like, kind of, you know, you, like you said, explain things, you know, and, and that's true. I, I completely agree. I just think that, you know, I really think fundamentally as a human being, you have to real, you know, you have to come to this realization of am I an accepting person, you know, fundamentally, and I think when you do that, and when you really like self reflect and you realize you are. The, the idea of, well, you're from this place, and you're from this place, and blah, 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 all of that kind of goes away, and the anxiety of, like, blending in kind of goes away in that, you know, in that mindset. um It, it did for me, at least, and I and I think that traveling has a lot to do with that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's one thing I, I know with um, uh, American youth is that, you know, one thing I'm a huge advocate for is send your kids out there to travel. Like, you know what I mean? Send them backpacking in Europe, send them to the Caribbean, send them wherever you can, because they're going to learn a lot more by seeing it firsthand than reading about it or seeing it on the internet or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be a lot more real for them that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, traveling is one of my favorite things to do. I mean, it's so hard because you know, traveling in this year isn't necessarily the safest thing. So I haven't yeah, really done Yeah, is- <laughs>
0: <But laughs> exactly. this year is a huge, like, mindfuck. I'm not going to lie. I'm, yeah. You no, know, it, it really is. Yeah.
1: It's been tough um, because I was always on the go. I was always somewhere. I mean, the, the main point of conversation would with me would always be okay so where are you going next and I would always have a place I was going next whether that was you know for work and writing about it or whether that was just for my own pleasure so it's been an adjustment this year being still Um, I do think travel is really important but I think like I, I go back a lot to like intention and I think you have to travel with intention too if you want to learn about the culture because you can go to some of these places and just you know and and nightclubs are culture too partying is culture too yes. but you know you you can go to some of these places and just go to parties and never see anything never learn history yeah you know, never it's know like what's moving going from on. one bubble
0: to another it's like moving from like your own bubble to another bubble that's very similar. exactly and listen
1: yeah. I I, I don't have any issue with that. I think have fun. I think we're going to want to have the maximum amount of fun when this pandemic is over. But, yeah. um, you know, for me, traveling is is education. Like, I am that person who's like, okay, I'm going on a tour here, here, and here. I'm going to spend all day in the museums. I'm going right. to eat at, at, eat at restaurants. And, like, for me, um, that is what I get satisfaction from is, is traveling in that way and really learning about these cultures and these different places. Right. So I think traveling with intention is, is the most important thing. And I think you can mix it up. You can go and party, but try to take a tour or try to talk to somebody who's from there and, and see what's really going on. I think that that is how you make travel something that is informative because right, you know right. we would be remiss in the age of Instagram to think that everyone who's taking a picture in in these tourist attractions is going to really find out. I mean we're we're in we're in a, a definite mode of people doing it for the gram and that's not bad pictures are beautiful. I mean we both love beauty and so we love aesthetics but you right. know there there's something Below the surface too, that we need to get to more often. That sometimes I think we miss a little bit. So I right. hope that when travel becomes safe for everyone again, that people travel and, and try to get a little bit more of of, of learning and schooling from from jet setting and not just you know the the surface level stuff so
0: or not just like a stamp on your passport like oh exactly this place right yeah I completely completely agree with you and you know I actually want to ask you this question because um do you think that um your travel experiences and your you know just the, being able to see the world do you think that's really influenced your concept of beauty in terms of like how you approach your your writing and your work and and all of that a thousand percent a thousand percent I mean I
1: I feel like growing up before I mean I I, I travel by myself a lot of the time yeah. um, same same yeah. Yeah. yeah so so that's also I get to kind of do what I would want but I mean you know going to these different places and seeing what beauty is like. I mean, it's a, it's a custom for me. Pretty much usually like the first day I'm in a place or the second day I'm going to the spa. Like that is like, I do that almost everywhere I go and it might be a hole in the wall. Um, (laughs) You know, I, am I'm always trying to find like the best Thai massage, like everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it you know, I'm happy with globalization because you know <laughs> the Thai people are luckily everywhere. Right. Um, and, and I have such reverence for how they approach like wellness and, and self-care. But, you know, for me, I want to go to the spa and I want to see what are the treatments you have here versus elsewhere? And, you know, what beauty stores do you have? What brands do you have in your country that are not available in mine? So it's right. definitely impacted beauty a lot, a lot, a lot for me. I mean, specifically because it, in this year, because I'm not traveling, I feel like I am trying to create some kind of experience with beauty products and talking to founders that I normally would get with just being on the road, but I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, able to do that. So, um, I would say travel has affected me a lot and I try to write about it as much as I can. Um, mm-hmm. and if not, I'm just, I'm there to experience it and take it in. So, so for right. sure
0: as. I love that. I really love that. And you know, I think um for for me, I think, especially, you know, now that, you know, I, I sometimes I have a hard time realizing that now I'm an adult and I'm a woman coming into herself in her 30s. <laughs> and I have yeah. to think to myself, you know, how can I set an example for anyone who comes to me as like for a mentorship or something? And I and I think to myself, you know like what can I give them that makes them feel like okay you know I can do whatever I want to do in life but it's like I always get stuck because I don't think I have it figured out at all you know what I mean and I think that in terms of like being a woman of color that's something I struggle with a lot like how do you feel about that in terms of like like do you feel like you know exactly who you are and you know the message you want to give or do you feel like that's always changing for you as a woman of color?
1: Um, I mean, I'm pretty, I've been a similar person for many years of my life. I'm sure my, my friends and my mom would tell you that. Um, so I, have been pretty sure of, of who I am for a while, but that changes. I mean, you're always gonna evolve and and learn throughout your life. So it's not a a static type of of situation. Like I I have changed, but you know, I think that no matter what stage you, you're at in life, you have advice to give and you have a, a position on things you've been through and that can help someone else who's going through it or, or even going through something totally different. I think that, you know, once you have a conversation, there's, there's always wisdom that, that people have. So I, I don't think you need to be set in who you are to be able to give people advice Yes, but, yes, yeah. you know, so, so I don't worry about that too much, but I've, I've learned to become very confident in what I do know. And yeah. there are things that I, that I know really well. And, and I'm the first to say, I don't know when I don't know about certain things, but I yeah. also yeah. try to, to kind of hold my tongue. If I feel like I don't know about something, I'll take right. my time. I'll read about it. I'll learn and then I'll talk about it once I feel comfortable. So I've been doing that a lot too, because I think, especially in this environment with social media, sometimes you're kind of pushed to having opinions about everything and, and it's okay to to not have an opinion about everything. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what that is and I'm not going to comment, mm-hmm. um, but I do try to comment when I feel like my opinion would be valuable and I do try to comment when, when I know something about the subject. So, so that's kind of Uh, my, my approach to that.
0: I love that. I really love that. And I think the ability to say, I don't know, is one of the strongest things you can do as a person. I mean, you know, I think I said this before um, on a previous episode, but in medical school, they teach us, you need to learn how to say, it. you don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You need to say that as much as you can, because if you say, no, I definitely know what I'm talking about, then you are now responsible for whatever it is that you're doing and you, you know, you can't be like, you can't have blind faith, you know what I mean? In your, in your knowledge. So I completely agree with you. I want to shift uh, focus a little bit because I want to talk a little bit more about skincare and um, what you think is, you know, what's happening in that whole realm of beauty. Like how do you see skincare right now and how it's evolving?
1: Skincare is, is so exciting. I mean, I think beauty in general is, one of the most exciting industries to, to be a part of right now, because there's so much evolution and innovation and science. And it's this great blend of many different things, but skincare, I think is, is, is really, it's cool. It's cool to kind of focus on skincare because I think that the science, specifically is what is really propelling it forward because it's it's this really incredible blend of, of science and and being ingredient focused and formulations and then this cultural aspect where i think a lot of different cultures where whether it's indian you know culture or japanese culture or african culture they're they're realizing that it's their kind of traditional ingredients and formulas that are, that they want to carry forward, but then they're also bringing the science in it to, to make it innovative and kind of next level. And so I, I think skincare is super exciting. Um, I'm, I'm loving the way that brands are approaching things from a natural perspective and understanding that nature has so many gifts. To, to yes. give us, and that we need to tap into that, and we really need to, of course, be in the lab, mix it together, you know, do your proprietary complexes, but understanding that to go within nature, there, there's a lot of of untapped things there, and also doing it in a sustainable way because you don't just want to go into nature and then kind of tap those resources, but you want to do it in a way that's mindful. So, I sure. think skincare is, is super exciting. And I, I think it's something that I also just enjoy the most. I think as you get older, like that's where the, the kind of effort is put in to your routine and kind of maintaining your skin and, and, and watching yourself age, but you know, age with grace. So I, I, I love skincare. I think it's, it, it's really cool to, to yeah. be working in skincare right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, I love that you brought up the whole nature aspect, because I think some of the brands that I consider to be truly, truly gender neutral are the ones that are very, very focused on their their um, mission of being you know derived from like for example plants or like green Mm -hmm. beauty or like you know what I'm saying like it's like there cannot be anything more neutral than nature like (laughs) that's what I'm trying (laughs) to say like you know what I'm saying like there's like nature does not say male female you know like it does not put a label on anything so like for us to go back to that I mean you know it just it feels more natural you know like for lack of a better term because there's so many brands that are like, you know, well, I'm, we're gender neutral. Well, what does that really mean? You know, skincare should always be gender neutral. It should always, because it should come from, um, it's more of a, you know, design of ingredients. It's more of a mix of, you know, compounds and, you know, chemicals that we're deriving from plants and extracts and all these things. Um, and I don't think there's any space for, um, gentrification of that you know what I'm saying like I don't think that that even needs to be a thing I think it should be reproached in a way that it's like well this is just how things are like aloe vera is aloe vera at the end of the day there's not a male version of it and there's not a female version of it it is what it is you know so I find that to be very very interesting
1: yeah I mean I look at something like, you know, Pharrell's skincare line, which just came out and, mm-hmm. you know, he's a proponent of, you know, whoever you are, you can use that. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, you, you, you know, you're in the medical profession, so, so yeah. you, you yeah. know how it works, but I mean, I think it's not even just the fact that products should be gender neutral. I think it's that, you know, there, there are, there are differences between women and men. And I think especially women, when you think about, you know, what are you taking? Are you taking birth control or, Mm, you know, what else are you, what are you eating? What are you, what else are you putting on your face and and men? Like, what are you doing? So I think that it, I, I do see that there is a shift in terms of brands understanding that skincare should be for all. And no matter who you are, you would like to have your best skin. But I do think that it's, it's not, there must be something that's not that easy about it because every brand hasn't done it yet. Um, I, I do think that there are differences over time between between women and men and that we have, we have a lot of those times created those, we socialize those. So right. I, I think that brands who are doing the work of understanding the science of making products that work for everyone, I think yeah. that those are, are the brands that if they're not winning now, they're going to win. But I think there is definitely a science behind it um, yeah. in terms of what that kind of, you know, palette of ingredients are and 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 all those different things you have to put together so I think we're going to see more of that but I do yeah. think that it's interesting like I I sometimes like will like to use body wash that you know is either like you said like made for all genders or sometimes body wash that's geared towards men I might like the smell right. um, but you, yeah, yeah but but you do find that sometimes with with facial care that mm-hmm. you might not be able to just use a, a men's product it, it might break you out or you know it, just the way right. it's kind of interacting with your hormone so I think that you see brands doing the work of really doing the testing to use it on people uh, of different genders but but there there is is a difference and and, and I know that even people who are transitioning Um, you know, sometimes have difficulty in that, you know, based on, you know, their hormone levels and how those are changing, they they might not be able to just use, you know, any old, you know, skincare product, you know, it has to be, um, you know, made with intention. So I I think we're starting to see that science happen now. But I think many brands have have a ways to go in kind of formulating collections that work for everybody.
0: Right, right. I completely agree. And I think, you know, what pops to mind for me is Neil deGrasse Tyson's quote about science does not care about your opinion. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's really what it comes down to is like, you know, it's science is science. And, you know, if we really stick to it, I think a lot of these like, you know, side issues might go away. Um, now, one thing I want to ask you is, you know, as women of color, we obviously have different skin concerns right Like mm-hmm. I know for like hyperpigmentation is a huge problem in um melanated skin it's like I deal with it I know all of my friends that are of color deal with it you know um how do you feel about um highlighting that do you think that it's becoming more of like a you know like I don't know like a like categorizing or compartmentalizing skincare into different areas? Or do you think it's some, like, I don't know. How do you think? I'm not going to put words in your mouth (laughs) about that whole thing.
1: Well, I mean, skincare, you know, of course there's the maintenance aspect. So once you get your best skin, you want to maintain it. But in order to get your best skin, you have to address concerns. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with brands and certain products targeting that concern because it's it's such a a big concern like you said for a lot of women of color a lot of women with you know more melanin in their skin so I don't think there there's anything wrong with that I mean that's what we're looking for um you know I I think that a lot of the time and, and what I've, I've liked to see of late I, I'm just kind of even thinking about like Kiki Palmer who kind of just you know posted you know her kind of bare face and was kind of talking about you know dealing with acne like blemishes are a part of humanity like your your skin is probably not going to be blemish free even though I will say I know some people have very flawless skin my my mom is among them but like you know you will have blemishes you're going to have a pimple or you might have a condition and I think that is okay. That's to be embraced. Like that is part of, you know, being a person. And so hyperpigmentation for women of color is a thing that a lot of us deal with. And and you can be very regimented and you can, you know, um, do your best to kind of get rid of it. But for a lot of us, it, it's just, it's just there. And it doesn't mean we don't take care of our skin and that we're not super attentive, but mm-hmm. it's just something that we deal with. So, I, I think that it, it's great that brands are creating products that work for us, especially brands that are women of color owned or, you know, yes. or black owned to kind of understand what the formulation needs to be. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think it's a good thing. If it's a concern that many people deal with, I think there should be products and collections and brands that, that
0: target that. I agree. And I think the reason I even asked you is because I know right now like, you know, a while ago, um, because I, I, my, my background is, like, I started off on Instagram with, as, like, an influencer. I just love skincare and makeup. So I was reviewing, you know, products I loved. But I know back, even back then, like, years ago, I realized that the research said that, you know, there is this thing called brown skin health, right? And so mm-hmm. um, now I'm seeing that emerging more and more and more in the skincare industry where now brands are saying, well, this is a you know um, under eye cream for women of color you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying or people of color and I yeah I'm not gonna lie to you I have, kind of have a problem with that because it's like why do you have to like label things you know what I'm saying like why does it have to be like so so labeled to where when somebody goes to buy your product they have to think twice about well do I even fit into the category of the person that should be buying this you know what I'm mm. saying Like, I feel like it creates a divide almost like, oh, well, this is only for these kind of people. And it's like, I'm all for, you know, more women of color and men of color coming out with products. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm all about, you know, supporting black owned brands, brown owned brands, you know, every kind of brand. I, I don't really, that's not even my, my point. My point is more of like, when you make these products yes, you should, you know, incorporate the idea that hyperpigmentation is different in skin that is more melanated. But to use that as a selling point, that's where I become kind of, you know, apprehensive. Um, So how do you feel about that? What do you think about that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. The the, the feelings around it are tricky. But, but what I will say is that, Skincare is not the same for everyone, right? Like what we we're yeah. just talking about. Um, concerns are not the same for everybody. And and for me, I think that brands, whatever they're going to offer needs to be, needs to have depth. And it needs to represent what is needed by many people. And so I think that that's, that's tough because I think you're going to see... Um, that a lot of the times only bigger companies and brands can even give you that much product. But I I don't really feel like there's an issue with a brand targeting me because I I do want to be represented. I want to know that you tested it on on Black people and brown people and people of my complexion and that you got it right. Um, so if it works specifically for me I'm okay with that I just want to make sure that you just don't have something that works for me that you have something that works for you know a woman who has a much deeper and richer skin tone and that you also have something that works for someone who you know is is very fair and you know maybe they they have you know a condition maybe they have you know albinism or, or something like that so it's like I you know I think that brands need to figure out who, who they are trying to market to and understand that it, you know, Black people specifically um, spend so much money, billions of dollars on beauty. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Brown people spend so much money on beauty. And so we deserve to be catered to of course, um, and, yeah. and, and we, you know, even, you know, I write a lot about hair care. Like I cannot go and buy, you know, a generic hair care brand and expect it to work for my natural hair. Like that's not going to yes. happen. So if yeah. you're going to have the curly collection, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Right. Just make sure that you're going to have the curly, the straight, this and that. Like make sure that you are going to make make sure that everyone is represented. But I don't mind being targeted because I think for a long time, we weren't even spoken to. And it, you know, everyone had to pretend as if you could just use that foundation. And it's like, I can't, like, it's going to make me look ashy. It's going to make me yes. look like my skin tone is gray and, and I don't want that. So I don't mind, I don't mind the targeting if, if it's authentic. At the end of the day, beauty is a business. People want to make money and they understand that we have money to spend. So target me, just make sure that the formulation is right and, and, and make sure that, you know, you, you got the product on point because if right. not, then there's, there's no point in, in wasting my time essentially. Right,
0: and I love that. I love that you said that because it makes me think that I, f- like the missing piece at this point, and you know, like I want to say something later about the be- like makeup versus skincare, but like I think with skincare, I think the missing piece is the data, the clinical data, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, like, a thousand you- percent. If a company publishes clinical data, like you said, saying uh, we tested our product on 200 women of this skin tone, 200 women of this skin tone, and this is the results we saw. I think that for me as a consumer will attract me much more to your brand than just saying, well, we are a brand that caters to, you know, this skin color you know that's specifically for skincare. now with beauty yeah. and makeup I feel like it's totally different and it's definitely I align more with um what you're talking about in terms of like foundation colors and like lipstick colors and you know what I mean like that is a whole different problem because that really does come down to well can a brown and black women find our perfect shade of nude you know what I mean in our lipstick can we find that perfect foundation that matches our skin you know that's a whole different I think um area and so you know when, when we talk about beauty it's like skincare and beauty I think at this point have to be separated from a scientific standpoint and we you know like science I think needs to be more backing um, more of like a backing point for skincare rather than just makeup because skincare should be rooted in science versus makeup I think is more of a social um, you know social issue right like it's like that. that's how I'm thinking about it
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's science to be, you know, to be spread around because I think science in general is just great. Um, but I, I agree with you in that we are missing from a lot of the science. Um, it's, it's very interesting because you'll see during this time with, with the pandemic, a lot of the doctors that they have on TV are black and brown doctors. And so it's like, we're out there, you know, yeah. but um, in terms Dr. of the Michelle data, Henry, for example, exactly. She's exactly.
0: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah.
1: and, and so we're out there, but we are missing from a lot, a lot of the data one, because I think as much as we're out there, the, the numbers are not even in terms of how many of us are there versus how many white doctors. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. one. Two, I think a lot of the studies have been very much led by white doctors or have been, you know, commissioned by brands where the leadership is white. So they don't really, understand the need to make sure that Black and, and Brown women and, and Black and Brown people are included in, in their mm-hmm. studies. Um, mm-hmm. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I wrote, I, I'm, you know, one of the stories that I write a lot about is texture hair education. And um, even to find stats about natural hair, which which has become much, you know, those numbers have become much more prevalent over the last few years, which is which is great. And it's what we need. But the difference in me writing a story, you know, two years ago to me writing a story this year, there's so much more data. And yeah. it's because we you know, as Black people and, you know, people with textured hair are understanding, like, we need numbers to back up what we're saying, because if we don't have the numbers, you think we're not telling you the truth, and this is right. the truth. So we are, I think, in a moment where we're creating our own stats, where we're creating our own metrics um, by, speaking up for ourselves to make brands understand that like this is the work you need to do but we're very much in that time and it's kind of unfortunate because you can go back you know you can go back of course like you know centuries and like millennia when it comes to some of these traditions all around the yes. world but I think even in America you can go back to to hair care and you could go back to Matt and CJ Walker you know what I mean yes and why yes. why isn't there a through line of what the data is from like back then to now because uh, you know and in some cases with white brands, they, they have that, like, they know that, but we don't, you know, and and sometimes it's, it's intentional. I mean, sometimes the erasure is very intentional in terms of like what we built. Um, And so that's unfortunate, but I'm happy that we're living in a time now where we're making sure to document ourselves. We're making sure to archive ourselves um, so that, you know, for two generations from now or, you know, a hundred years from now that they'll be able to look back and and be able to see the numbers coming together. But you're you're very, very right in that we have been missing from a lot of the data. And that is why, you know, the the science isn't always there. Um, but I think that specifically even in this year with a lot of brands being called out, I think you're gonna see brands who are going to start to publish these studies and kind of work on these studies because they, they were kind of called out and they didn't have anything to show for it earlier this year. So I think that they're gonna hopefully start to, to do that work.
0: Um, yeah, I hope so as well. And you know, I love that you're um, you know, dedicated to providing information about hair care because I'm not gonna lie to you, my hairstylist is always a black woman. Like seriously, like I cannot, and and it's not because I'm being discriminatory in any way is because Indian hair is more similar in my opinion, especially my hair. I don't know about all Indian hair, but my hair, I just, I've been to, you know what I mean? Like a stylist that's, you know, she's white and she's works with mostly white clients. And then the way that my hair gets cut, it just doesn't look right. But then if I go to a colored woman, she'll know exactly what to do with my hair because she's used to her own hair. And she's used to working with that different texture and that different, you know, the way it lays and the way it, you know what I mean, moves around. And so I feel more comfortable, I know, sitting in someone's chair that I can relate to. So like, you know, that like the education aspect of that whole Care, care thing is extremely, extremely important. And I really commend you for, you know, going towards it and like providing that education.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's part of my life. So I think that I'm just curious about it, because it's like something that I encounter personally. So I'm yeah. passionate about, you know, writing about it. But it is, it is true. A, a, a black person, a brown person, you know, a lot of the times we have to learn all hair types. Um, And, you know, when it comes to a stylist who is, is white, they might not have that education. And and what I found in my reporting is that um, a lot of the times Not only do they not get that education in school, but then they don't seek it out after school. So it's not just them. I mean, black and brown stylists, especially when it comes to natural hair, they too have to seek out the education because they're not always taught it in school, but they do usually seek it out, um, based on, you know, the fact that there is a big movement when it comes to black and brown women, um, kind of gravitating towards their natural texture. So, you know, there, there has been a lot of progress there. There has definitely been a shift, but, yeah. but the progress yeah. is slower than, than I would like, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Racism is very real. It is racism because yeah. Yeah. it's not, when you think about the fact that if you knew how to do all hair textures, or if you offered every shade of foundation, or if you could cater to every skincare concern that you would make the most amount of money, brands are leaving money on the table because of prejudice. So, yes. It, yes. It, it it's yeah. that it, it's it is what it is, and it, it's hard. People don't like to say it because it's like, wow, that's that's ugly when you think about it, but. That's what it is. It's the know? truth. And it's the truth. Yeah. So I think, and and, it, and it's true that some brands are a niche brand. They're not trying to cater to everyone, you know, to each their own. I'm not trying to to, to judge you uh, necessarily, but I do think that um, that specifically like a hair salon or, you know, other brands, especially that are bigger, they, they kind of have a little bit of a responsibility and the fact that they haven't stepped up to the plate, it, it is what it is. So, you know, I think we have to be more honest about it.
0: Honestly, I'm gonna, I'm even gonna say this. And you know, the racism thing. I'm so, so glad that we're saying that out loud because yeah, racism is real and let's all stop pretending like it's not because it is. And I can honestly tell you that when I got my hair cut in the Caribbean, all I got was oh, girl, your hair is beautiful. You know what I mean? And it was a Black Caribbean woman cutting my hair. She had no problem. I mean, I was exposed to the idea of drying, blow-drying my hair first before she textures it for the first time when I was overseas. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. like, and then I came back to the to America and then I had a white stylist and she wanted to just cut it while it was wet. And I had to explain to her, listen, I, you cannot do that with my hair because it's not going to lay the way it needs to lay. So I think the education component there is almost, yeah, it's lacking, but it's also, I think, a, you know, the idea of do you want to be educated in that area right it's like it's not yeah. just about is it available or not do you really want to learn because if you want to learn the resources are out there i yeah. mean you, you just have to go learn it <laughs> like it's not yeah. it's not like rocket science you know yeah so, and i don't
1: listen i don't i don't fault anyone who is not like trying to go above and beyond because some of the stylists i've talked to you have to go above and beyond i mean to to get your cosmetology license Is not cheap, and then to also add on, you know, learning about different hair textures—that is, you know, infinitely more money. Um, So I I I don't fault anyone who's not taking those extra steps. I mean, especially after what people have, have dealt with in 2020, what will happen in 2021 with, you know, salon, so many salons being closed and, and, and people in kind of the cosmetology industry being out of work. Like I don't fault anyone, right. um, but I, I do think that it needs to be on every salon owner and every stylist to figure out who they want to cater to, who they want as their clientele. I've found that stylist who I've talked with, who know every texture, they yeah. don't have any limits. Like they yeah. can make yeah. the most amount of money based on their schedule um, if they're able to, because they don't have to turn anyone down. And, and they, and they've said that it's also kind of a boost to their self-esteem and that, you know, anyone who comes through the door and who needs to have their hair done, they can do that. So it seems like it just opens you up for a lot more opportunities
0: um, right, but, right. but I,
1: I certainly don't, don't fault anyone. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, I think it's, it, it's, it, it's an honesty thing. It's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I don't want, I don't want to learn other hair textures or, you know, I'm not interested or I, or I don't see that being my path, but at least be honest about that so that especially people can not sit down in your chair and have an experience like you might've had where it's like you right. know you're scared or you're having to explain what needs to be done like you know right at the end of the day you're paying for a service so um, no, I, I think I if think, more people yeah. are honest that would be a better a better path
0: absolutely absolutely and I mean in closing I, I just want to mention that like I think that my honestly my one of my fundamental beliefs faith is that I think that education is honestly the answer to ending racism I really do across the board. I mean I think the more knowledge and education we can gain as people it's going to lead to an open-minded, you know, community and population and I think if because you know it's not about white stylists versus black stylists versus brown stylists it's more of how open-minded are you? And if you are regardless of your skin color, like you said, you're going to have a much more diverse clientele. You're going to be better at your job. You're going to be able to provide better services. You know what I mean? So I think the whole education aspect, like we at some point have to take it upon ourselves and say, I need to learn my trade a little bit better. You know, as a medical professional, I cannot sit there and say, I don't know how to treat a condition in a black person. That can't be an excuse for me, you know what I mean, at the end of the day, I have to know, I have to know about everything, because that is my job. And that is something that's going to make me uh, a better doctor or a better, you know what I mean, a better healthcare provider. So it's like, you know, taking that responsibility of self education is like, I think, something that really, really needs to be propagated in every single sector of you know, business and, you know, academia, anything like it just, it just needs to become a norm. I think, especially in today's world where everything's on the internet, you know, if you want to learn, go on the internet, you'll find out, you know, read yeah. some blogs about women who have like the super curly hair and it's really hard to work with, read about it, you know, and, and learn and, and try to incorporate that. So, yeah, but anyways, I, I know we have talked and I could talk to you for literally hours. Like, seriously. <laughs> This has been so amazing and I, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the show. I want you to come back as many times as you possibly can and your calendar allows because this has been such an amazing conversation. So thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. So thank you.
0: Yes. It's my pleasure. And um, Faith, can you shout out your Instagram handles just so everybody out there listening can go and follow you and um, you know.
1: Yes. Um, my Instagram is I am underscore faith C. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Okay. So everybody listening, please go follow faith and, uh, leave some comments in the cover art for this episode for myself or for faith. And I will pass them along to her. Um, and, please do not forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or any of the seven platforms that we're on right now. We really, really appreciate your feedback. Um, Also, happy holidays, Faith, and everybody out there. Um, I hope everyone has a wonderful uh, holiday season this year. But um, I'll be back next time with another episode. Thank you so much. Thank you.